0: You have accessed Omnibus Addenda, Volume 14, Entry 495.NU2653, Certificate Number 28876. The Four-Color Map Problem. Boy, you're taking us way back here. I am. You know, as you
1: and I were discussing this week... Um roughly half the listens that omnibus gets every month is to kind of random old shows
0: yeah that's right people well because the uh, people are in the future have no sense of of they, the order of these shows they
1: don't know what order they're in. people are discovering the show and just picking random ones that sound interesting or working their way through them in alphabetically
0: the past. or by by uh,
1: entry number certificate number who right. knows like the world's your oyster yeah um, But yeah, I think fully, I think about 60% of our contemporary listens are people listening to the new shows and 40% are weird old catalog ones. Well done, uh, Futurlings. Thank you for your industry in going through the old shows. That's why we made them. But we got an interesting question about the four color map problem from Kate Bax, who is an engineer and had a question about four-color maps that we did not answer, Hmm. which is this. Isn't there a further constraint when you color a map that's actually a political area, like a real geographic area? Because, you know, let's take this for example. On a map of North America, you know, Alaska is a different area of the map. But to a map designer, you would want it to be the same color as the U.S. piece. Sure. And that's not a problem here because Alaska is a peninsula that only touches Canada. So right. no matter what you do, it's easy to make Alaska the same color as Washington. as Washington. But that's not always true. Oh, yeah, that's true that sometimes states are different. I'm assuming a map where all of the U.S. is oh, the same color. Yeah, right? easy, easy. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, because you don't want to make, you know, for example, you may want France and French Guiana to be the same color. In a globe,
0: in a global map,
1: right, right.
0: Um, but but if you did, you you see those colonial maps of Africa where there's a, a British colored stripe that goes from right. Egypt all the way down to South Africa.
1: And famously, at the time of the British Empire, they would make sure that all their maps, that all the British parts of the globe, all the crown colonies and territories, were the same color. Did they have a? Color of choice? I believe pink.
0: Oh, yes. I've seen those pink maps.
1: In the movie, I've seen period once too. In the movie Hope and Glory, there's a there's a, a scene where the proud teacher tells her children that that's why we're fighting this war, for all the pink bits. Mm,
0: uh, I've fought a few wars for the pink bits. I'm not going
1: to address that at all. The It's
0: terrible. Uh, I apologize to everyone, but this present is, and future.
1: But this is an additional constraint. You, know, you can no longer make every area of the region of the map, the color that's left over because you might need it to be the color of its mother country, you know? Or the country it's an enclave or an exclave of, for example.
0: So that creates a four-color map program or a problem because you're, you've got an extra constraint.
1: Yeah, let's say you've created a world where, you know, the constraint on this map is now Switzerland has to be purple. You've used all the other colors to ring Switzerland. It has to be purple. Suddenly, Switzerland is conquered by Sweden, tired of Americans confusing the Swedish and the Swiss. Yes. Sweden just decides to unilaterally invade Switzerland, which is neutral and cannot defend itself.
0: Very hard to do, actually, because the Swiss, are, the Swiss have uh, Im- embedded guns in the mountains. Yes. And, and the, tunnels and the,
1: stuff. The, the lid of the Matterhorn hinges <laughs> back and a giant <laughs> cannon comes out.
0: I'm uh, going to do, do an episode on that.
1: The... But let's say Sweden is not... So suddenly, Switzerland has to be the same color as Sweden, but let's say there's a different constraint up in Scandinavia whereby Sweden has to be blue or orange. Right. Suddenly, you have messed up the four-color map theorem by adding this new constraint. And Kate's question is, hypothetically, what is the... uh, You know, what's the upper bound on that? Like, what is the applicability of the theorem to real-life political situations? And I don't think I've ever heard this discussed.
0: It does seem like now we're into... a I mean, once you start putting that kind of like, – I guess it's not an artificial constraint, but it, it is a it, – it, you know, at that point you could say, well, all democracies have to be one color. Yes. And, and then you've got a
1: – Yeah, what if a world government forms whereby, you know, the 18 world nations that start with C decide to become one country called sea land – Yes. Suddenly your your map coloring is I think blown out of the way. I spent about 20 minutes thinking about this and being annoyed that I was not sure. Uh-huh. But I think the answer is there maybe is no upper bound on the number of colors you might need if you introduce this constraint. Like
0: Cameroon and Ceylon and as the Ceylon
1: Yeah, as the number of
0: countries Canada.
1: Yeah, as the as the Columbia. size and complexity of the map increases Right. I don't think there is an upper bound. like
0: Well, only the number of countries in the world. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like a
1: map with a million countries and a set of weird constraints caused by political alliances.
0: It could be... The
1: upper bound could be anywhere between 4 and 999,999, 999, depending on... Well, I guess that's not true. There would be an upper bound, wouldn't there?
0: As soon as you screw with it, it's a butterfly flapping its wings to introduce a... Uh, even a small constraint. So there is no constraint in general,
1: but I think there is a constraint expressed as the number of regions on the map. And I have no idea how to calculate that. And that's why I wanted to mention it in the addenda so that I could be corrected by listeners with actual topological training.
0: That should be that should be an inter- interesting set of emails. What if there were Andorra between every national border in Europe. Yeah, what if every two countries had an Andorra? They're on
1: Andorra and it is politically part of Andorra. It is run by the uh, president of France and the bishop of Urgell in northern Spain. Right. They are the heads of state of all these little Andorras. And that would be good. Everybody gets an Andorra, it becomes a tax haven. Mhm. You get a little tu- you get a lot of tourism from people who want stamps and
0: postmarks. Almost every national border has some sort of town that has weird duty-free shopping. Yeah, and the, the suburb kind of extends across the border a little bit. But I
1: think it should be its own little entity with cheap Toblerone
0: and, uh, <laughs> yes. and cognac. And hopefully skiing. Yes, they yeah. would all
1: have skiing, even yeah. if it's the border between uh, <laughs> Italy and uh, – well, I guess Italy would work. Right,
0: Gre- Greece and Albania.
1: It, how, what about Italy and Vatican City? Does that yeah. – does that has its own little – Well, right, except that's
0: not on a – that's – oh, between the two yes. – Yeah, it does. In fact, I think I bought cigarettes there once. They're skiing.
1: Yeah, it would be about the size of a sidewalk kiosk. Yeah. The skiing would be terrible.
0: Yes. But the Toblerone would be cheap. If you you had skiing between the Vatican and Rome, there are a couple of places that you could have at least one good jump. Because you could go off a roof. Yeah, that's right.
1: I think Tom Cruise does it in the third mission (laughs) possible. So please, send us your corrections. How do you express the maximal number of colors I guess the minimal number of colors needed to color a map. If. If there are political constraints relative to the number of total territories.
0: Yeah, it makes it complicated. It's not that complicated if Britain only has one territory, one colonial territory, and it's Hong Kong. But it becomes complicated if Britain has.
1: Yeah, the worst point is in the middle yeah. where there's not, where, you know, almost all the territories do not have to be the same color. Well, I guess if they do, then that just becomes one territory. Maybe I've talked myself out of this. If Britain has so, much, so many pink bits that pink bits are running into pink bits, like when Canada used to butt into the US.
0: But it would be a problem if you that had. That would just count as one pink bit. If Kenya and Rhodesia both had to be pink, they're close enough together that they're going to start screwing with the math of Africa.
1: Right. There's some point in the middle where before the map gets simplified by all these, it gets way more complex. Yeah. What is that peak number?
0: Oh, this is fascinating. This is a Hilbert Hotel entry.
1: Finally, more math in the omnibus. Please, (laughs) somebody tell us so we can tell Kate.
0: Entry 039.EZ4705. Certificate number 36634. The Ambassador Bridge. Uh, In an entry of the
1: omnibus that will be entering the time capsule next month, I think, we got a note... From a listener, a futureling who had noticed that uh, Maddie Maroon, yes. the uh, entrepreneur behind the the uh, Ambassador Bridge Cartel, had passed away. Recently, and there he sent us his obituary to update the omnibus.
0: We anticipated it in the in the episode. Is that true? We, do we call for his death? No, but, you know, his death Did, did we do this, a jihad on Maddie Maroon? His death is, you know, it's going to complicate things.
1: Right. We we, uh, we, uh, we predicted complications, I see. Uh, and Jeff, the listener who sent us this obituary, had a funny Bader meinhof story, Bader meinhof adjacent story related to this, which is about—I guess he lives in Cincinnati— and Cincinnati has a similar uh, kind of a, a logjam with the Brent-Spence Bridge.
0: Between uh, Cincinnati and Kentucky.
1: Yep. That's how I-71 and I-75 get across the Ohio. About 3% of the U.S. GDP crosses that bridge every year just to get between Ohio and Kentucky. Wow. $417 billion in freight. And it's been rated functionally obsolete for like 25 years. Oh,
0: sure. I've been across that bridge.
1: I've been across that bridge, too, because isn't the airport on the Kentucky side? Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, Cincinnati is the capital of Kentucky.
1: <laughs> now you got Kentuckians <laughs> mad, and I can't do that anymore. No regional strife from me, the interim I, guest host of Jeopardy. I don't think... I don't love think, all American cities and their Jeopardy affiliates equally.
0: I don't think anybody in Kentucky or Southern Ohio is, gonna, is going to... is Watch deny Jeopardy? Deny that that's true. No, they all watch <laughs> Jeopardy. Uh, I don't think any of them are going to deny it's true. I think they're going to be mad about it, but...
1: So within twelve hours of Jeff sending us Maddie Maroon's uh, uh, obituary, and thinking about his own hometown equivalent of the Brett you were Spence say Bridge, his own
0: mortality and is. his own
1: death. <laughs> no, there was a collision of two trucks on the Brett Spence Bridge, so severe that they shut down both interstates in both directions, and they had to close the Ohio River to barge traffic, and uh, the
0: U.S. economy shut down.
1: Well, three percent of it did. He sent us this in late November, and I guess, uh, you know, weeks had gone by and they still had not reopened. Oh, in fact, they are not scheduled to reopen until late December. So around the time you're hearing this uh, addenda episode, they have finally reopened the interstates into Kentucky. Inshallah, so, as they say in Kentucky. <laughs> as, they, as they will <laughs> blow up your service station for saying in Kentucky. But yeah, it's like a Dark Knight Rises scenario where Cincinnati's had its bridges blown up since right. – since, uh, what, sometime in mid-November. And um, then, shortly after, he was like, oh, this is like that Batter-Meinhof thing. And then the following week, we did the Batter-Meinhof entries. Boing! Yeah. So he now thinks that we are, uh, I don't know.
0: He's caught in an infinite loop.
1: That's true. Uh, and he also wants us to know that the reason why the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet is responsible Lol. for all river traffic over the Ohio River and not the state of Ohio is because the state of Ohio has its origins in the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, in which, by statute, Ohio only governs territory northwest of the River Ohio. Huh. So Ohio's, Ohio's uh, clout begins at the riverbank.
0: But does that mean that West Virginia and Pennsylvania also manage their sections of the river? I would assume, well... Cause can well, West Virginia can't...
1: would already have been... Yes, you're right. West Virginia would have been Virginia. Those were already states
0: right. at the time of the Northwest Ordinance.
1: Was. And so, yeah, I would think that Ohio stops at the uh, state line or river line. I guess, the is any of the Ohio-Pennsylvania border river, or is it all straight line?
0: No, there's river. There is? Okay. Well, let's make sure of that. I'll take your word for it. I'm not going to edit this out. This is just going to be you Ohio being wrong. Ohio River in Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, because the Ohio— of uh, the Ohio is part of the, um, you know, the Allegheny and it goes it, – it, it's the it's, – the Ohio is what comes out of Pittsburgh. Um, where right, it, right.
1: But it looks to me like none of the state line
0: is oh, actually a riverbank. You see what I'm saying? it goes across
1: the state. Yeah, it goes, oh, see, it see, goes see, through Pennsylvania. Okay. So,
0: Well, no, wait. It is the border – of Ohio and West Virginia at the point that West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio intersect. That's true
1: at the tripoint, and Ohio gets none of that water. Wow, stupid, crazy. stupid Northwest Ordinance. And I guess this was adjudicated by the Supreme Court into the 1970s, but the uh, original treaty and statute still hold.
0: And then uh, the Ohio the Ohio River is the border between Kentucky and Indiana, and Kentucky retains sovereignty over. Uh, over the river at that at that point cuz Indiana wouldn't have been a state at that point I guess and then Illinois as well
1: yeah if those if those were all parts of the, the that north the north if the northwest ordinance covered Ohio and everything west within reason then yes i guess you're right
0: fascinating
1: the 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 supreme court i think in the 70s according to jeff says it's something like wherever the average low water mark of the ohio side of the river was in 1792 when Kentucky
0: became something not Virginia, uh,
1: that's what the that's the new
0: border. You know, there's a tiny little bit of the Missouri-Kentucky border that's also the Ohio River, or is it? No, it's the Mississippi. At that point, the Ohio feeds into the Mississippi at the tripoint of Illinois, Kentucky, and Missouri. Missouri and
1: Tennessee are the only states that both border eight other states, and I always. Have a hard time remembering which are which. Does Missouri and Kentucky have a little tiny? Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's not that short.
0: No, it's uh. But there at Cairo, right? That's where. Um, I think they say Cairo. Cairo. Do they say Cairo? It looks like
1: Kentucky is the only state that borders both Missouri and Tennessee, the most promiscuous states. That's hot, Kentucky.
0: Oh. Is this? My little. Is your Alexa now called That's Hot, Kentucky? Well, I, th- I think it was that I did a wolf whistle the, oh. and she was like, are you talking to me? Sailor. Ooh la la. Entry 1412.mt1225. Certificate number 15899, Washington, CSA.
1: During this entry, when we were talking about statehood, you were talking about how annoyed you were that Hawaii gets the all the perks of being the 50th state. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's just bragging rights.
1: Alaska is now left with the lame number of 49. It was only the newcomer for a matter of, what, months?
0: Yeah, and there are American flags that only have 49 stars, and those are... Prized collector's items.
1: So at the time Alaska was admitted, they didn't know Hawaii was coming right on its heels. Yeah, they so. did,
0: but they made some flags.
1: But a limited number, maybe. Yeah.
0: They were like, yeah, we should have a couple of flags for this.
1: Most of the flag makers were holding off for, for number 50.
0: I think in Alaska, they flew the 49th star flag, 49 star flag for, you know, for however long, however many months that was.
1: The. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe they should have just released a, a kit with stickers. <laughs> like we know you need a forty-nine star flag, but you're not going to need it in a few months.
0: Well, Noah, this is a this is a math problem, right? In order to have a square that has the number has right. forty-nine stars and have it still be even rows.
1: Well, seven by seven is easy. Forty-nine yes. is actually easier than fifty. Than fifty, right? Fifty gets you that whole six five six five six five shenanigans. It looks
0: great, but we got a note from Amanda, who uh,
1: whose parents were born. Well, the in-
0: problem is, wait a minute. The problem is that it's a rectangle, not a square. So seven by seven, it has to be, you know, the- Well, it just means you- width is, the stars are further apart. They're further apart, yeah.
1: Uh, Amanda's parents were raised in Hawaii before statehood. And back then, the Hawaii State Fair was called the 49th State Fair.
0: Really? They anticipated statehood?
1: From 1948 to 1958- they were the four- – and I guess her dad was always mad that after all that branding, Alaska jumped the queue oh. and got to be the 49th state. So nobody's happy.
0: They should have flipped it around. I mean, there's no reason why they couldn't have done it a different way. Who was in a big hurry to get Alaska to be the 49th?
1: Uh, I don't even know why the order was what it was. I mean – This is something I should know. When they say 49th state fair, it occurs to me that they were not like – it was more kind of like we're the fifth beetle, you know? It was yeah. like – there's 48 states, but hey, we're Hawaii, the 49th state. Right. Like, it's like, we're the we're, we're pretty much a state. A- the, and they have hopes of statehood, I guess.
0: At the time, because of World War II, a lot of GIs had been through Hawaii, whereas a comparatively few, except for Kermit Roosevelt's number one, comparatively few U.S. service people had been through Alaska. Although now that I'm thinking about that, that's not true. There were a lot of... Americans but but, In Alaska, they, yeah, like, but there weren't Alaskan shirts that became popular. The ukulele did not the ukulele was a great ambassador for Hawaii.
1: What's the Alaskan equivalent of the ukulele?
0: The ulu I don't know what that is an ulu is a is a a kind of knife that um oh. the indigenous people used to carve whale blubber,
1: but it's not a musical instrument. it's not no,
0: but an ulu is a very effective vegetable chopper. Or blubber remover.
1: Amanda also has a story about uh, touring the Capitol because she had a friend who worked for Senator Inouye. And on the ceiling of the house chambers, you get a bald eagle with 50 stars around it. But there's a... It's actually a circle of 48 stars with a second bonus star at the head and the feet of the eagle. Oh. Because those had, the, the, the thing predates 59.
0: Bonus stars. Yes. And so... What are they going to do
1: with Puerto Rico? <laughs> well, I, I guess maybe if you do Puerto Rico and D.C., you can do oh, east yeah. and west. You can yeah. do the two wings. But I guess uh, the trivia that the Hawaii delegation likes is that no other state knows which star they are, whereas Alaska and Hawaii do. I don't know if they can... Ah, Hawaii conceded to being the last state added, but they wanted to be the star above the head. So Alaska got added first. But it's the they foot got, star. They had to be the foot.
0: Hmm.
1: Hawaii was last, but now they're the head. Hmm. Or that's just something that the Hawaii delegation tells tourists.
0: Yeah. The whole thing the whole thing feels like a ripoff. Entry 197.JU0112. Certificate number 26039. The Cavendish Banana. This was a popular episode.
1: We mentioned banana milk during the show for some reason. Because my uh, elementary school cafeteria had like... Milk, milk, chocolate, strawberry, or banana—like yeah. those were the choices.
0: The bananas and milk go great
1: together because it's that weird banana-y taste that may or may not be closer to a Gros Michel than a Cavendish. Right. Um, we got a note from our cartoonist friend David Chelsea, who sent us a a uh, consumer culture zine, which had an article, an entire article about Nestle's claim to be the number one banana milk in America. America's favorite <laughs> banana milk.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm America's favorite banana milk. Uh I don't want to hear about your banana milk. That seems like a that seems like an easy claim to make. That was the uh that was the point. So they the the
1: zine tried to follow up with Nestle's various, various corporate apparatuses to find out where the source of their claim that Nestle Quick Banana Milk was America's favorite banana milk. And it's just kind of a series of circular Well, of course it's the favorite because it's the best. Right. But how, why is it the best? Because it sells more. Yeah. How do we know it sells more? Because it's the favorite,
0: you know. <laughs> right, right. I think that, but how are you going to go up against Nestle corporate uh, corporate lawyers?
1: Also, is it a possibility that it's
0: America's only banana milk? That's the thing. They, Where, if you went, if you were looking for banana milk and you weren't prepared to make it homemade.
1: They could just as easily say America's worst selling banana milk. Unless every country that does not make banana milk is tied
0: with zero. Have uh, Like, both- like uh,
1: Northrop Grumman... Uh Uber, all the companies that do not make banana milk.
0: Banana milk. Let's see what happens when you Google it. Banana milk, you get Korean banana milk recipe is the first thing that comes up.
1: Well, apparently that's why I was having it in my cafeteria. That's right. Because unlike most listeners, I was in an elementary school cafeteria in Korea.
0: Um, There are a lot of homemade banana milk recipes, but I don't see nestle come to the top here i'm still scrolling
1: they must not make it anymore oh they make a they make like banana milkshake
0: powder I yeah think. Nesquik banana milk
1: but i guess that's what nestle quick is right like yeah. is, is all there's maybe no they sell stuff that's pre-mixed
0: they do now they do now uh, but apparently it's very popular in korea oh and there's um there's banana milk protein power drink
1: so they, they're just using the banana to mask whatever.
0: Mask the, the chalky taste. The of,
1: whey and the iron oxide and whatever else is in that. Right. MSG. So maybe nobody is making America's top-selling banana milk. That is a There is a opening in the consumer market.
0: Maybe America's top-selling banana milk is Korea's top-selling banana
1: milk. Maybe America's top-selling banana milk was the friends we made along the way.
0: Hmm. Entry 088.mk1472, certificate number 36846, the Bader Meinhof phenomenon. Not the gang. No, our our Bader Meinhof gang episode, which was an episode helmed by me, uh, incited a lot of political controversy among the futurelings on the web. Enough that you and I both got both exasperated and also disgusted. Well, also baffled. Baffled. Like- <laughs> I,
1: I, I, st- I still don't understand what everybody's beef with the entry is, and possibly it's because they all had different
0: beefs. Yeah, the conservatives thought we were a bunch of leftist reds, and the leftist reds thought that we were a bunch of conservative apologists. And I don't know, maybe that means we did it right.
1: That's how you know you're doing it right, when everybody's equally offended. Yeah.
0: We heard but, it, it, but it made me mad, because we, there were quite a few people that were like, I don't like John's episodes.
1: Well, we, I kind of skipped the gang part, because I thought it would just make you mad if I read this email. But we did get a lengthy email from a German oh. named Petter, I think.
0: Okay, Petter. Who, uh... It is going to make me mad. Well, it,
1: I, I didn't. I wasn't sure if I followed it, but it was very lengthy. It pointed out that we never used the word terrorism in the episode, yeah, so maybe we're soft on crime. That's right. But also, we were maybe Liberals. insufficiently respectful of Germany because well, we that did not <laughs> almost certainly was true. <laughs> we d, we didn't point out their amazing commitment enshrined in their constitution to human dignity. True, which explains everything about Germany today, according Absolutely. to this email. Absolutely, and it's uh, there. So, we very. I guess you know maybe we were making. Jokes about about german uh, what uh, uh, domineering German personality yeah, personality right and instead and in response, we got an email about how we were insufficiently respectful of Germany so
0: yeah so QED like, <laughs> proved the point,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but we got some interesting more interesting Bader meinhof stories, uh, you know people with their own little bits of synchronicity. Thor from Sweden, I guess Tor? Tor. Do they have the T-H? Uh, was driving home last night from work. Uh, Fighting
0: Loki the entire way.
1: <laughs> listening to, Loki's appearing and disappearing in different parts of his backseat. Listening to the entry on Badr-Meinhof. He stopped at a local convenience store to pick up a pair of hiking shoes that he'd ordered for his wife as a Christmas gift. Not yeah. sure this is super
0: relevant to the story, but I appreciate you setting the scene, Yeah, Tor. and he was immediately kidnapped, and, <laughs> and his uh, Mercedes was blown up.
1: The Scandinavians are uh, a culture of storytellers. You know, they had uh, uh, scolds and thalds and uh, bards. What do they call their? Thanes. Thanes. Scoldbards Sk- 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 thanes. Scald? Is that right? What do you call a uh, Scandinavian storyteller? Well, they had eddies um, and Don't call him late
0: for dinner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't call him late for the smorgasbord. Uh, so he's setting the scene for us. He, he bought a chocolate bar and chose uh, a coconut bar. Bourgeois. Got back in his got back in his car. Turned the podcast by, uh, back on, and right as he took the first bite, we started talking about the number of injuries caused by coconuts. Hmm. As he's eating a Boing. coconut candy bar. And he thinks somehow we arranged that from the other side of yes, the Atlantic. It's true. We it's not, went through a wormhole. It's not really Bader Meinhoff syndrome, strictly speaking. I don't want to poke holes in all these
0: stories. That's spooky action at a distance, another favorite topic of It all
1: is 100% spooky. That's like a general bucket into which many different kinds of illusions and phenomena can go. It is Schrödinger's coconut candy bar. And uh, in case anybody is wondering which Swedish coconut chocolate bar he got, it's called Marabu Coco.
0: Mm. Oh, I know the one.
1: He compared it to a bounty bar, which I don't think we have here.
0: Yeah, we, well, it's uh, Peter Paul Mounds. Uh, Peter Paul Almond Joy has nuts. Peter Paul nuts. and Mary. Peter Paul Mounds don't because sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't.
1: Peter and Paul have nuts. Mary Travers does not. Does not. That's how I always mm. remember that. Okay. Then we got a note from Jim from St. Paul. We, If you'll recall, the the name Badermeinhof uh, phenomenon for this kind of frequency bias or illusion— Super arbitrary. Yes, it just came from this random message board thread on the St. Pi- Paul Pioneer Press Bulletin
0: Board. I don't understand why it's not called the St. Paul Pioneer Press Bulletin Board phenomenon. It should be, right? Yes. Yeah. The SPPPBB. <laughs> Way better. Uh, Imagine my surprise
1: when Jim tells me that not only is he a uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press bulletin board veteran and contributor, but also this thing still exists, despite the fact that it's an internet bulletin board appendage to a print newspaper, two things that should not be around anymore. It's still popping over there on the SPPPBB. And he brought to the group's attention that we had just covered their contribution to the history of psychology. Huh. And they listened to the episode and they got angry at me because I said that uh, running the St. Paul Pioneer Press bulletin board sounds like a dream assignment for a lazy editor because oh. it's just, it's basically one of these addenda shows. It's a mailbag
0: sure. column where but you were dissing, we don't have to do any other work. You were dissing thinking, well, what are the chances? The, the current editor of this thing, if it still
1: exists, will never listen to this.
0: Yeah, right.
1: But of he, all the people. He did and wrote a scathing note to me. Well, I guess- can know stuff on Jeopardy, but I guess he, there's a few things he doesn't know about editing an online bulletin board for a for a
0: print newspaper. Roar.
1: So now I'm, I can't go to St. Paul again.
0: What we've learned in doing the Omnibus is that at any point that you mention an obscure, small, unknown town or crossroads in any country of the world. Within a week of the show airing, someone will write you an email saying, I live in that town, and you got it mostly right, except.
1: And just to be clear, you are not calling St. Paul, Minnesota an obscure no. hamlet or a burg.
0: No, but every time we do some episode on like a tornado that, that goes across the middle of Iowa and hits four towns, we hear from, each per- we hear from people in each town.
1: Uh, yeah. It's a golden age of being told you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And you know, cause back in the day you could still be wrong on TV, but you know, it would just be like a letter to the local TV station. And the actual guy on Ed Sullivan who said something wrong would never hear. He would never know that he had right. been wrong in front of there you go. tens of millions of people. But thanks to the internet. Oh, thank you, internet. Uh, it's good. It keeps us humble, honestly right? You don't want to think you're right all the time. I, what, what, I would, a, what a toxic kind of a personality that would create.
0: I would be fine thinking I was right all the time. It, it worked for me for 40
1: years. The thing is, you will already think that. That's your default state, is to assume you're right. So you can, <sighs> you can throttle the amount of people telling you you're wrong, you have in your life, just by uh, not getting married, not going on Twitter. There's lots of decisions you can make to keep that Edenic
0: state. So, surprisingly, it may surprise people, that I do not like to be yelled at at all, and you are much more resilient to being yelled at. People yell at you, and it just bounces right off of you. Only because I'm used to it. We,
1: you just need to be yelled at more so you can reach the point of bulletproofness.
0: I ran for public office. I've been yelled at so much by so many randos it's about It's true. I don't get yelled things. at in person. Yeah. You got yelled at by,
1: like, just a, a mean lady with a microphone.
0: Oh, every Every single person that steps up finds a reason to yell at you but also yeah people yell at me all the time because uh, they take what I they take the things that I say personally and so they double yell
1: well you shouldn't have it's a good thing you didn't win cuz your your life would be a full-time job of then having people coming to a microphone and yelling at you
0: i noticed that about every political candidate they they are able to be yelled at and not and then go home at night and not be like me still there trying to convince them that that I was right.
1: But it doesn't mean they're psychologically healthy. They've just dissociated. Yeah. You're psychologically healthy. Oh, thank you. Hey,
0: I'm in touch with my emotions. Entry 283.ZP0206. Certificate number 45989. Cottage Cottagecore. Did you hear from Henry Thoreau on this one? Yes, his ghost haunted me. <laughs> he was like, how dare you, sir? I was truly living... Off the land.
1: He liked raisin bread. That's how you know that he wasn't really any kind of hard scrabble
0: survivalist. My daughter likes raisin bread. I don't like raisin bread. I don't either. I don't want little wet lumps of things in my food. What about, because she gets those raisin bagels with the cinnamon on them.
1: So why don't they just have them with the cinnamon and then without the raisin? Agreed. Like It's a deal breaker for me even in carrot
0: cake, I'll Agreed. be honest. Oh no, I don't like a raisin in anything other than a bowl of raisins. Do you, you like raisins, right? I do not. Well, no. If somebody gave you I a like box of raisins. I like raisinettes. Yeah. But you didn't get a little little box of sun-made raisins in your, yeah, in your and lunch I, and I
1: traded them to somebody
0: else for Pringles. I didn't want that crap. Well, I was the somebody else who didn't want Pringles because potatoes are gross oh, and yeah, did want raisins. We are a perfect ecosystem. Yeah. This is the basis
1: of our relationship. You get my chips, I get your raisins. Brian wrote in with a Bader-Meinhof story related to Cottagecore. I told the story on that entry, the at least the legendary story, which may or may not be true, of John Ruskin's marriage falling apart... Um, Pretty much on his wedding night because he didn't know that people had pubic hair. I guess presumably he knew that he had pubic hair. Hmm. He certainly did not think his bride-to-be would be so forward as to have pubic hair. Right. And uh, it immediately... That you know, would be it, a shocker. It, it really did traumatize him. <sighs> yeah.
0: I mean, that won't... The thing is, looking at a person uh, in clothes, you would not expect... you. There'd be no reason for you to think somewhere under those clothes there are a few patches where... Hair is in abundance.
1: Do you think they should wear a t-shirt that has that disclaimer on it? Well, no, because this would have
0: been before people wore
1: t-shirts. Do you think they should have some kind of a tunic or bustle? I think it is a problem of poor sex education in schools. Yeah, I'm sure there was zero sex education when John Ruskin was in his elementary school. That's why we needed sex education. So, uh, Bryant heard this story for the first time, and then this is a true, actual batter mine, huh? 48 hours later, the Atlantic Monthly has, the new Atlantic Monthly has an article about a controversial new statue of Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, and it begins with it ch- the- Shows her big and push? And she's got an <laughs> enormous push. No! It includes the same anecdote about oh. sexual repression and uh, pedestalization of women or, or whatever. Right. Um, so, uh... Right after we recorded the bonner episode, I mentioned John Ruskin's personal issues. Two days later, this woman writes uh, or publishes her Atlantic Monthly article, which mentions it, and then he reads both right after learning about the Bonner-Meinhof phenomenon on our show. So we... Have demonstrated its existence to Brian, and we're going to continue to do that one listener at a time. It's
0: a he had a double Badter Meinhof.
1: Throughout the ages. Yes. It's, it's everything, everybody who has a omnibus-related Bader Meinhof now can say this is a double Bader Meinhof because they also talked about Bader Meinhof. Oh, right. We've we've like it's like a force multiplier we've added mm-hmm. to our frequency mm-hmm. illusion. Uh, we also heard from Nicholas from Pennsylvania. I apparently in the cottage core show I mentioned that um, my backyard was full of bees this summer because they loved the oregano, and it was going to make some gross-tasting honey.
0: I do remember that.
1: He is from—Nicholas is from northeast Pennsylvania, and he wants to know if either of us have ever had sweet sauce pizza for, for which oregano honey would be perfect. Apparently, in part of Pennsylvania— It's when, a regionalism. Whether they're not eating their other delicious foods like Scrapple and— uh, what are the other inedible things that
0: Pennsylvanians eat? Oh, uh, phew, turtles. <laughs> yeah, <they eat>. the <laughs> Amish
1: are always out of there just biting the head off a turtle.
0: Uh, they, eat, uh, they eat cow's hearts like apples.
1: <laughs> One of the things they eat in northeast uh, uh, Pennsylvania is pizza where they've put a ton of honey or grape jelly or brown sugar or something in the pizza sauce. Okay. So it's incredibly sweet. Uh, It can't be that much, though. So I asked Nicholas about this, and he said, look, all you need to do is put a a tablespoon of brown sugar and a tablespoon of honey, well, in every cup of sauce. That's going to be some pretty sweet pizza. Well, I mean, because already tomato sauce is sweet. It is. It's got sugar in it. It is. That's the thing. When I was a kid, I asked my mom, what's the difference between pizza sauce and, like, red sauce, like marinara sauce? And she said, oh, well, there's a little bit of sugar in pizza sauce. And I've always carried that with me throughout my life as the canonical difference. And I have no idea if that's true. It's just what my
0: mom said once. Well, it's that kind of pizza sauce. If you go to fancy, like, burnt crust pizza place, they probably just – it's made out of tomatoes smashed but the bare in, feet of – In a pestle. Of children.
1: Uh, Yeah. They've severed the bare feet and just made a mortar. <laughs> sticks
0: on them. No, they, the children stamp on uh, tomatoes for a few hours, and then they harvest the adrenochrome.
1: <laughs> but I have to imagine that if you're really just dumping jelly or honey into your – Pizza sauce, that's a real, it's a notably sweet pizza. Sweetsa.
0: But also, like, it's also got grape, (laughs) which is not what I'm looking for.
1: One other note on Cottagecore. We have a recommendation, a streaming TV recommendation, if uh, Amazon Prime still exists in the far future, which I'm sure it will. Sure. Uh, It will be the future. Ed says that we should watch Victorian Farm. Do you know this show? No. It seems like kind of a 1900 house vibe. You know, 1900 house?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's, you're living on a Victorian farm with Victorian technology, except there are TV cameras all yes. around and it's a
1: cosplay yeah. reality show in the past. And I don't think I've ever seen 1900 house. Do they pretend they're a 1900 and say, good thing William McKinley is still president? Or are they all like, man, this sucks that you got to use a, that there's no electricity and I need to, um, yeah, it sounds like they're start either start a fire every morning in the kitchen.
0: Either that they're either building a house or repairing a 1900 house using 1900 technology.
1: Oh, but I, you're you're not sure if they pretend that they are in the 1900s.
0: No, I'm sure they do, but but they were. there would have to be something other than Well, time to put the wet clothes through the wringer again. I mean, it, all you'd have to do is live in a 1900 house for one week and you would know everything. And you would know that it's probably not a good TV format. Yeah, cuz all they do is do everything they did last week, again, this week. That's what makes it but, so terrible. But
1: look a little more sad and drawn.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm heating the iron on the wood-fired stove in order to iron the pillowcases because it's 1900 and we have no sense of what's important.
1: The women are one step closer to just throwing themselves out of a
0: window. Yeah, which was very 1900. It used to happen all the time.
1: Uh, Victorian Farm, apparently. By the way, I'm in a 1900 house right now because our dryer died last week. How do you live? Uh, it still will spin, but it won't heat. And it turns out with a dryer, what you Just want like me. is the heat part. <laughs> yeah, you'll spin, but you won't heat. <laughs> you give light, but no warmth. Yeah. So we now have wet clothes hanging off every doorknob in the house.
0: Well, you know, I don't dry my shirts. Because they shrink? They shrink. And so I hang dry all my <laughs> shirts because the because of this the shape of my torso which is long. My arms are long and my torso is
1: long. The last thing you want is something riding up above the, yeah. the belly button.
0: If I buy an extra large shirt and put it in the dryer, it will shrink up. And all of a sudden, uh, it the cuffs don't go to my wrists and the shirt doesn't it go to my belt.
1: But you need to wear something like this weird thing that Fabio is wearing on the cover of this romance novel that we will not mention on the show for another month.
0: Is that, another, is that a car coat? What, what? what is it? Let me see it. Aden listeners
1: get a sneak preview of this weird Fabio book that we
0: yeah, have. Yeah, he's wearing like a uh, like a car coat length trench coat, but he's got no shirt on underneath it. It's clearly shapewear, right? Yeah, because
1: Fabio is no longer of an age where he can be shirtless on a romance novel. But
0: he's like, he's popped the collar too, <laughs> which is strange. So You'll well, that, notice that I'm wearing this, you know, sort of house suit yeah. today. And it also has a like a tunic
1: shape to it. And that's because you have a tunic shape I to do. you. I'm tunic shaped. Um... Victorian Farm: The premise is that two archaeologists and a historian live for a year in England as if they were nineteenth-century farmers. Oh, and uh, I like it. Ed finds it very relaxing. It's kind of a Great British Bake Off end of the day kind of a vibe, apparently. So, if anybody's looking to wind down after a very turbulent two thousand twenty, uh, Victorian
0: Farm. So, but it's a it's a it's like a cottage farm. It's not they're not making food. To feed the masses, they're just out hoeing a little hedge, uh, hoeing a little row and I would imagine putting seeds. You don't want them
1: doing backbreaking uh, hay harvesting <laughs> right. for like sweeps week. Uh, I guess they have, and it's a lot of just local color. Like, I guess experts will come and visit the farm, all wearing era appropriate garb and oh, talking nice. about what would happen if it, when a tinker or whatever came by your farm.
0: Yeah, that's nice. So on, are they, they're bitching about the Zulus, probably.
1: <laughs> right. They're probably just, just saying something. I wonder if they have, like, 1900 Victorian-era racism. Yeah, I'm sure they Like, do. are they like, hey, I can say whatever I want on this show. It's period appropriate.
0: <laughs> Entry 837.EX0204. Certificate number 42582. Elizabeth Nietzsche. 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 Bless bless you. Nietzsche. If
1: you you recall, Nietzsche's sister, not Not only... Yeah, that's correct. (laughs) We did have somebody... I think this was also the angry German... It was. ...who was mad about terrorism. I I
0: got a couple of letters from angry Germans telling me that that no American can pronounce Nietzsche.
1: Well, this guy said, hey, uh, you guys were so stressed about Nietzsche, and then you just said Elizabeth every time. You didn't say Elisabeth or whatever a German would say.
0: Lisbeth. Lisbeth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Lisbeth.
0: Although that's, that is a separate name in, in Dutch, Lisbeth. So you're, so you're not sure, you're
1: not sure what Lisbeth, what Petters Beef would have been? Beats me. Uh, but I think there's a tradition for just anglicizing the first name into, you know, uh. Yeah. What, what's an example of this? You would say Fidel Castro instead of
0: Fidel. Yeah, right. We don't say, we didn't say Deutschland at any point, did we? We didn't. So
1: We do do the show in German
0: every week after we record
1: the English version. That's right.
0: We do a second German one and then a Spanish one. Uh, Ken does all the talking in the Spanish one. And, you know, I, I fumble through.
1: And people don't know this because they don't press the letter, the two on their phone right when the episode starts playing. O el numero dos. We mentioned that uh, she also, in addition to her other fascist interests, she started a anti-Semitic uh, utopia in Paraguay that fell apart. And we speculated uh-huh. that one of the reasons why she may have done that. Why you? Why do you choose Paraguay for an anti-Semitic utopia? You asked me. Strangely, because I thought it seemed like you were taking notes.
0: Paraguay. Paraguay.
1: Well, I just thought it was. You seemed a little too interested in where you should start your anti-Semitic utopia.
0: I feel like Paraguay is the Paraguay is the place. You're just not sure how you're going to say it. I feel like Uruguay is is like pretty chill, and Paraguay is like not chill.
1: Paraguay is where you go for. Uh, I mean, Uruguay's right on the river. It's yeah. so across the river from Buenos Aires. They tango. It's right there. You've got some Brazil up above. Like, Paraguay's up in the mountains. Yeah. You might Hard you Hard to might get run, to. People just still speaking Quechua or Guarani or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I speculated that maybe the reason why she went there was the dearth of Jews. Okay. Which, you know... It's what you want with an anti-Semitic utopia. It
0: is, right? Or, wait a minute. Maybe you want a ton of them. Yeah, if there are no Jews, then your amp- anti-Semitism becomes very no toothless, outlet. right? You're just sitting around being anti-Semitic. But think of all cares. the free
1: time you, you have. You know, other anti-Semites have to go throw rocks at synagogues, and you're like,
0: I'm good, man. I got nothing. We're, we're clear out here. Oh, well, you know what? There are a lot of—there's uh, a large Hasidic community in Argentina, so they would be proximate— to a place to be very mad at.
1: do you think they have to take the bus. <laughs> well, Ari, a listener, wrote in to say that, in fact, he knows a Paraguayan Jew. His, uh, maybe her. His or her or their uh, I think, freshman year in college. I think
0: Ari is a boy's name it, in it, Israel. It
1: would be. But uh, but he had a woman living on his floor at freshman year of college. So depending on whether the dorm was
0: co-ed. Well, in Israel? I mean, the army is co-ed.
1: I don't think this, I bet this is an American university. Oh, okay. Um and in fact she's now the author of They. Let's just say they are the author. No. They oh. knew a woman.
0: Oh, who is the author?
1: We have a pronoun for the author. Okay. The Paraguayan Jew who has written a Paraguayan travel guide. There's not that many all Paraguay travel guides. And Romy Natalia Goldberg is the author of one of them. Okay. Uh She and her Jewish husband lived in Paraguay for a while before returning to the U.S., and this inspired me to look up the history of Judaism in Paraguay. And? Apparently, it is a rich and storied history. For the same reason—so the Nazis often ended up emigrating to Paraguay because of its lax immigration standards. They would let anybody in, even a Nazi. And for that same reason, the prior decade, Paraguay was very attractive Refugees fleeing Europe for other reasons, ah, namely Nazis. So the same thing that brought Nazis there in the 40s brought a big Jewish contingent to Paraguay in the 30s. Sure. And uh, as a result, there was a big community, and to this day there's a 1,000 Jewish people in Paraguay. I don't know if that's bigger, more more, or fewer than you thought, but um, definitely some work to do for the next person trying to found a an awful fascist utopia there.
0: Well, sure, yeah. And, you know, I think the— the uh, the Jewish people of South America are forewarned, so sure. you're not going to sneak in with your well. They knew, like utopia. all the Nazis.
1: Ten years after they get there, here go there goes the neighborhood. Oh right, here they come. All the Nazis started moving in with monocles, pretending not to be Nazis.
0: There like, are not enough movies about this. There are some movies, but there could be more movies. Sunshine. Uh, what's it called? The Boys from Brazil. Boys from Brazil. But what was the what was the movie about? Uh, um, Finding uh, Nemo. Not Finding Nemo. Finding Dory. Not Finding Dory. Finding. Bobby Fisher, No. Forrester. No. Finding. The Nazi that they extricated back to. You know, oh, oh, Eichmann? Eichmann. Is there, it a documentary th- or th- th- is no, it. No, a... there's a, dr- a dramatic uh, mm-hmm. dramatic movie about finding Eichmann that, a, that I believe has a Paraguayan scene. Eichmann, Eichmann was in South America. He was in, in Argentina.
1: The, uh, that was also the entry where you mentioned, where you opened a cursed sword. Oh, that's right. The cursed sword. What have you been doing with your cursed sword? Did you carve the Thanksgiving turkey with it? I oh, hope. It's right here. Oh yeah. It's sitting right behind you. Yeah. So there, yeah, I thought there were no clan artifacts in this room and I was way off. There. Yeah.
0: Never, never make that mistake again. There is one. Uh, there are, there, I got a lot of feedback from people telling me what they thought I yes, should do you with got the many sword. many suggestions. What, do you remember any favorites? Uh, I mean, there are a lot of people that feel like, like, uh, Physical items like this are talismanic.
1: You got to melt it down because otherwise it'll corrupt your They have
0: they have uh, all this evil in them.
1: They're going to turn you into golem.
0: And so all of the all of the suggestions were were predicated on the idea that that having a thing was intrinsically unholy. Um, I don't feel like physical items have that. It hasn't changed
1: your psyche to have it here for a month.
0: No, and you know, and and harboring on a scale of
1: one to ten, how racist were you a month ago?
0: Uh, not very racist. I would say, I would say it's very hard to say that you're a one or a zero in the world because there's all this hidden
1: racism. Exactly. That makes it seem like you're not examining.
0: That's right. So so what number do you think is the safe answer? you (laughs) You always discover new racisms in yourself if you spend enough time in the quiet. But I would say I was a two and a half or a three.
1: And now after a month of sitting next
0: to that sword? Still exactly the same. Right on the money. Uh, and it's a, you know, the thing about the sword is- So it doesn't cure racism. <laughs> the sword is cheesy. It's a chintzy- That's what I'm wondering. Piece of, of, uh, of garbage that was repurposed from the Knights of Columbus.
1: Yeah, Is it, so is it a relic or- No. Like, are there, like, are there, sadly, are there millions of Southern, or thousands of Southern and Midwestern addicts that have that exact-
0: No, I don't think so. Sword. I think that it's a, I think that probably some clan somewhere, I mean, the thing about the clan is it is- It's a piece of shit, you know, like the clan doesn't have, they don't have nice stuff. They don't, they don't have any power. They don't have like, there's no, there's no, I mean, and in the 1920s, there was a, there was a, I guess, what would you call it? A bigger clan, a better clan, Uh, you know, a, a more widespread clan, but it's not like the, it's not like it ever was a, a thing that made nice things. I mean, it's all garbage and this is just garbage. But I'm. It's. I'm also not going to put it over my fireplace. I mean, it's a like like all of my Masonic crapola. And let me be clear to the Masons listening: I am not equating the Masons and the Clan. The Masons are great, and they have they have made a lot of kooky ephemera but are they similar in their low their low standards of craftsmanship no the Masons have better things but you know what I yeah. love about the masons is they make all kinds of metals they like to give one another medals and and uh, I love metals because once I was King Neptune and and gave, and built myself a uniform in the image of King George uh King George v which you know the those uniforms those late 19th century early 20th century uniforms just were bedecked with orders of the garter. And you know every nation has an order that they bestow.
1: And you have a long torso, as you've said. You have more room for medals so than most
0: room. people your height. So, and the thing is, I don't want stolen valor, right? I don't want to wear a fake
1: medal of you, you honor. You don't want to wear a Victoria Cross.
0: Yeah, because I I didn't win that. I don't want to run into somebody. You didn't somebody go over the that, wire. Yeah, somebody, somebody that actually was awarded the Victoria Cross, and I'm parading around in some ginned up one. But because Masonic medals are all ginned up, why, well, you know, like no Mason is going to walk up to me and say like, oh, are you a 31st degree, you know, turkey shooter or whatever? Probably
1: not. Can you just go to like Goodwill and get like uh, high school science
0: fair medals? <laughs> well, but even those, I mean, I have a couple, like I have a Berlin airlift You're like, hey, medal. you like, I didn't win that science fair. Yeah, that's right. Like I I did... Have a very elaborate experiment where I played different styles of music to plants to see if it affected their growth, but I didn't win
1: because probably because you found metal was good and the school didn't want to speak that, didn't want to hear that truth, that hard truth. It
0: felt a little bit AC/DC
1: like ac made the fern
0: get taller. It was an it was a it was a an experiment that had been done.
1: Yeah, that that experiment has been done many times.
0: Yeah, so. We had two
1: emails from people not recommending you destroy the sword or bury it or turn it into a plowshare or whatever, both recommending different museums. Right. Uh, There's a Jim Crow museum at Ferris State University in what part of Michigan? Big Rapids. That seems fake.
0: Big Rapids. So
1: basically it's a fake university. Where is Big Rapids, Michigan?
0: I bet it's up high. Doesn't sound like something that's down low. Is it near Grand Rapids? Something that they, they would keep from Ohio uh, They keep the rapids for themselves. It's
1: quite a bit north of Grand Rapids, but uh, maybe they're mad that Grand Rapids took the good name.
0: Well, you get the Big Rapids first. Ma- and yeah, then... maybe
1: Big Rapids was first and Grand Rapids is like, well, ours isn't this big. What are we going to say? Yeah. Think, so they, think, they become think. grand. Have you ever seen the thing Michigan people do where they show you where they live by making their hand into the lower peninsula?
0: Oh. Uh, you know, when I when Michigan people start talking about where they're from, I always you thought they
1: eyes, were doing some Masonic salute, and you were like <laughs> weirdos. No, he, it's a map. Uh, so that's an option. There's a Jim Crow museum there, um, and I'm sure they get tons of crappy stuff like that, and then they just have to toss it.
0: That's the problem. I mean, I feel like the I feel like Holocaust scholarship is such that we're 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 watching the very last generation of GIs die now and their relatives are going through their attics, finding boxes of like, like photographs and, and things that were stolen from Berchtes <laughs> um, that their grandfather just brought home. That turns out it's like, Oh, it was Hitler's day planner and this guy just had it in a box. So I feel like the Holocaust museum is, is always looking for like singular items. But again, this is just a piece of tin crap. I'm sure the Jim Crow Museum would be like, Yeah, thanks. They they show you open a closet and there's fifty of them. Yeah, we we don't really it's not like it, it didn't belong to anybody in particular.
1: That was Nicholas's suggestion, whereas uh Todd mentioned Daryl Davis, whom I have not heard of. Uh he's a- Was he the piano player in Captain and <laughs> He was not. Um, that's although Daryl Dragon. Although he is a he is a piano player, but he's he's backed up like Chuck Berry and, uh, right. you know, legendary blues artist. He's played piano in Muddy Waters' blues band. But lately he's become more famous as a an activist. Okay. He's one of these guys who, like, reaches out to uh, – one of these guys. I didn't know this was a thing. He will reach out to specific clan members and try to, like, cure them of being in the clan. Like, he'll befriend them. Because I guess he's, he's played country music as well.
0: Right. So he feels he like – played he with get, Crystal Gale.
1: He feels like he can reach across – this divide you know the
0: blood brain barrier between soul and, and country like
1: yeah the, the, this you know these clansmen uh, who see, seeing a black guy play country for the first time and are like wait a second like that gives him a conversation starter and i guess he's convinced like 200 clan members to uh, vote for obama or something love it um and but he keeps all their stuff like they turn over their stuff to him as part of their 12 step program right and so he would like to open a museum of discarded clan stuff as well
0: I want to be clear that I am not keeping this clan sword because I treasure it, but nor am I seeking a home for it because I feel like it, I need, it's a hot potato I need out of my life. It's
1: in limbo, though, the it's, sword.
0: That's right. It has become now a clan sword that, is, um, that has suffered a divorce from any context, and I, I think there are people who object to it being a curio. But there are people who object to everything, and I'm not as motivated by other people's objections to things.
1: Yeah, I mean, if the context is not, this is a display item. If the context is like, look at this weird, shameful piece of history, yeah, I don't believe it would have any kind of halo of...
0: Yeah, I'm not celebrating it. I also have a, a complete collection of the works of Rudyard Kipling, and I'm... But I don't. And also, I have the forbidden tintins about <laughs> of the Belgian Congo. I, I also have the bad tintin. Tin. Uh, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm collecting just. Evil, awful, uh, racist stuff.
1: You have to have the right proportion. If I, if, if you have all the good Tintin, if you only have the bad Tintin, that's yeah, a little suspect. A weird, if you have all 22 of the good Tintins and the bad one.
0: I have all the Tintin.
1: If you just have a bunch of swords that are not
0: I do. associated with
1: white that's supremacy. That's the thing. I have, I have 14
0: swords of different
1: kinds. It would be weird then if you had none that had done <laughs> awful right. colonialism. It would be like that's you're right. whitewashing the past.
0: Sure. Where's your clan sword, mister? Entry 330.JB1810, certificate number 36728, the DeLorean cocaine bust.
1: Got a lot of DeLorean photos out of this.
0: Yeah, a lot of people had addenda to the DeLorean story because there's never enough cocaine talk.
1: (laughs) Jaime noted that, uh, and I didn't know this at all, John DeLorean is still a hiss and a byword in Puerto Rico. Where Jaime is from. I guess that was one of the finalists for where he was going to put his car-making site. And when it turned out Northern Ireland was even cheaper or had even better tax breaks or whatever, uh, Puerto Rico got snubbed. But had
0: Puerto Rico put a bunch of money into building a DeLorean site?
1: I wonder. Like all these cities that are like kowtowing to Amazon now? Anyway. We'll, We'll destroy all our churches I guess every time Jaime uh, saw a DeLorean, his dad would be like, well, you know, like that was like the thing that, you know how dads always have the thing they say? For sure. So that was his dad's thing about boo DeLorean.
0: Did your dad have a thing that he said?
1: It kind of depends. Yes, but it depends on, he has like so many thousands of them that it just depends on the input and you know what's going to come out given the input. You know, it's it's definitely yeah. a deterministic machine, my dad. <laughs> right. You can tell which uh, things will produce which uh, which joke about the, the priest, the Minister and the Rabbi, right.
0: the uh, Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile drives by, and he's like, "That reminds me." And you're like, "I've heard it.
1: Got it." Uh, we got two great emails related to the Delorean. Uh, Drew directed us to the Delorean website,
0: which is a fan site, or which is the Delorean. It is the
1: official Delorean website, which is now mostly about you know how to get parts and accessories. But intriguingly, it has a section about the future of Delorean. Oh, for many years, it was the law in the United States. It was federal law that every automaker had to pass, had to, um, had to abide by the exact same, all the exact same regulatory and uh, statutory issues, whether they were General Motors or. It was basically the reason why you could not have a small batch artisanal automaker. I see because of the weight of uh, government regulation, and which boy, is
0: one of the amazing things about. Italy so many of their famous car marks they you know they make like 200 cars a year or something.
1: however in 2015 Congress passed something called the low-volume Motor Vehicle Manufacturers Act I like it which does now allow for the enterprising small businessmen, to start making cars that will drive on America's highways unencumbered
0: by all those mean <laughs> regulations. Now, is this something pre- or post-Tesla? Uh,
1: it's it does seem like it would be Tesla influenced, right? Like they've got the lobbying money; they're the ones that can finally break up that with the weird dealership system where you know. So, many, I think that's state level, right? Many states will not allow automakers to sell cars directly to the public, right? Um, and I know that's been a Tesla lobbying. Uh, emphasis but you know all these little kind of companies you know these guys in their basements have had to sell kits
0: oh right and i uh, in the uh, in the vintage car universe their kit cars are are um, are like really abundant but it's usually companies that are making porsche 356 kits that you can put on a volkswagen chassis or uh like Shelby Cobra kits. I mean, it's it's usually a car, a classic car that you can't afford anymore.
1: And that's what's happening here. The the exception that the house carved out in HR 2675 limits production to 500 cars a year. The car in question must be licensed by the original manufacturer. You can't just build a replica Shelby Cobra and say, oh, I don't know. (laughs) The car must be at least 25 years old, the source car, Mm -hmm. and power has to come from a modern engine from a mainstream manufacturer, and it must conform with current emission standards. So it's still difficult, but now not impossible for the DeLorean company to start selling DeLoreans. I feel like... And they plan
0: to do so. The consensus seems to be that any engine would be a better engine than that Renault engine. That's exactly right.
1: (laughs) You will finally be able to get a DeLorean with something cleaner and more powerful. Uh, And I don't think anybody has actually... I don't know if there's been any change in the industry due to this law passing. But DeLorean is definitely saying stay tuned because right. we're going to start selling DeLoreans again.
0: With a with a Corvair flat six. Does that mean they just have like warehouses full of parts somewhere? I think when the DeLorean company collapsed, and I'm not sure if we talked about this, but there were DeLorean parts uh, all like sitting around on pallets, like tons of them and, and a ton of cars sitting on loading docks or – uh, there was a lot of DeLorean stuff that didn't get. I mean, that's true of the Shelby Cobras too. There, I remember a an episode of Pawn Stars <laughs> where someone found a, yeah, a an actual Shelby Cobra body that had never been mated to a chassis, and they sold it on Pawn Stars. I'm embarrassed to say I for used a to pretty watch penny. Pawn Stars, yeah, yeah. Oh, what it was! Oh no, it was even worse. The Pawn Stars guy turned it into a Shelby. And those guys, as you know, had zero taste. <laughs>
1: we got my my very favorite response. We got to this entry just happened to arrive right after it at the end of November from an outfit called Pod Status. Someone named Carlos with Pod Status. Uh, it's some kind of podcast ranking engine, and he wanted us to know that after that DeLorean entry aired at the end of November, that was that put us over the top, and we were the number one history podcast on the internet in November in Namibia. No, really? According to the Pod Status rankings, and I don't know how their algorithm works, John. But,
0: but to to our Namibian listeners, I say Or or to our, our Namibian listener.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we just got one download and it put us over the top over any other
0: history podcast? I wonder. I mean,
1: we are I... also we are number 2 in Serbia and Benin and number 3 in Macau and Latvia. So really hard to find a pattern there. <laughs> Serbia, Namibia, West Africa, Macau, East Asia, Latvia.
0: Well, here's the thing about Namibia. It. Um, what about Namibia? They hate the dollop. No, but the, but English is a is a major language in Namibia. True. So you could be in Namibia and listening to Omnibus and and have it be if not your uh, primary language, well, yeah, it could be one of your primary languages that that um, so. There wouldn't be any kind of
1: we wouldn't be losing to some Dutch language history podcast,
0: right? Uh, there, there's but no... that is
1: not true of French-speaking Benin, Serbian-speaking Serbia, Chinese and Portuguese-speaking Macau, Latvian-speaking Latvia.
0: You're, it's it's you you do raise a question: How many history podcast downloads do there have to be? I kind to be the first. I
1: kind of wonder if the you know PodStatus finally got one history download podcast downloaded in Namibia, and it happened to be Omnibus.
0: I don't, yeah, and also, as we've seen, it it's very tricky to measure podcast downloads. Right. Uh, they don't— Who knows how flaky pod yeah, status is. It could be a little is. flaky,
1: yeah. But listen, if you are a contemporary omnibus listener who understands something of the reason for our runaway success in Namibia, Serbia, Benin, Macau, or Latvia, please let us know. We're dying to find out. Like, we, we can start doing live shows in Namibia, maybe.
0: I'm— Super into it. If we did a world tour, uh, almost certainly they have a better COVID-19 response than the United States.
1: Uh, it'll be the guy who found the Coke bottle from, uh, from the plane. What if he's our big fan there? Isn't that in Namibia? Oh. Uh, the Gods Must Be Crazy guy? Was that Namibia? I think it was Namibia. Uh. I just want to have the—neither you nor I have had the Hasselhoff thing of being weirdly popular in some weird part of the globe. Like, my Jeopardy! Right. Uh, status gave me a little bit of a bump in Canada, but then I told the truth about Blue Jays fans who drive to Seattle Oh, in the that's summer.
0: right. They hate you now. And then,
1: and then Canada turned
0: on me. Well, that isn't entirely true, because the Long Winters were... Yes, where is your niche so, following? We're unusually popular in Spain and the Netherlands... Uh in contrast to our popularity in France and Italy which is almost nil. It's negative actually. So they actively I, dislike you there. The long winters were uh, were in German Rolling Stone, we did really well in Austria and Switzerland and Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, Spain uh and Portugal, but but not did hardly any traffic in France or Italy and and to my utter disappointment the uk is such a is such a condensed rock scene there and they're so snobby they're such judgmental rock fans that we didn't have whatever that whatever the cool it takes to be popular in the uk
1: i feel like what you want is a little country like you want to be able to say
0: we're big in belgium we
1: were top 40 in belgium or greece yeah. or something you know because that makes it I don't know, it makes it seem really plausible that there could just be this this diehard 100 square miles of long winters fans that
0: I mean I get recognized or did get recognized on the street in in Amsterdam and in Madrid but I don't get recognized on the street in Seattle at least or at least everybody here's too cool to say anything. Entry 1357.IS4031. Certificate number 20800 ultra running this is where the mail came in oh boy because everybody's
1: you know you hear a podcast about your hobby and you're like yay uh we were scolded for not mentioning eddie izard's ultra running and the reason why is because i didn't know did you know this
0: i didn't until i saw these
1: letters he ran 43 marathons in 51 days eddie izard Eddie Izzard, who I always thought of as a Chubbins. Exactly. Like, if you were going to pick one kind of lean British comedian who would run 43 marathons in 51 days, you would not. You would say
0: maybe Steve Coogan. But now you see him post-marathons, and he's kind of unrecognizably gaunt. It worked. Well, if that's what you're going for. I'm, I like a Chubbins. I'm a Chubby I, Chaser. I'm not against <laughs> Chubby
1: Eddie Izzard. I'm just saying... You know, if you're going to run 43 marathons in 51 days and then you don't lose any weight, wouldn't you be pissed? Right. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, we didn't mention that because how would you know if you weren't following the career of Eddie Izzard more closely than we are?
1: In that show, you happen to mention your high school cross-country running? Yes. And you got a note from a fellow Thunderbird from East High, Aaron Mussey. Hello, Aaron. Aaron missed you by a year, but she was in cross-country as well. She finished so late at the end that the school bus had already left, and the driver was tucking her kids in bed at home. I guess that she's she's riffing on your story about finishing so late that the bus was gone.
0: Well, I should I should tell Aaron that uh, that my uh, my terrible race happened at Russian Jack Park, which uh, was a golf course. In addition, so you can see Russia from your house. Yeah, Russian Jack, named after good old Russian Jack, uh, and she surely knows about Russian Jack because it was the. It was where East Cross Country ran when we, you know, when we would run actually from school after school. But it was also a place that, that running meets were held. She wants to know if your coach was Mr. Armstrong. Absolutely. Mr. Sh- Armstrong Short was guy coach.
1: with big mustache and huge biceps. The aptly named yeah, Mr. Armstrong. Mr. Armstrong.
0: Not really a runner. Yeah, you'd think that would be Mr. Legstrong. No, Mr. Armstrong was, you know, was a PE teacher and the running coach.
1: Uh, I made the mistake in that entry of saying that, Britain has no barons, they only have baronets. And Mm. I would like to amend that statement. Britain has both barons and baronets, has baronies and baronetcies.
0: Interesting. Uh,
1: Baron is the lowest of the five ranks of British peerage. And and baronets are higher? Below dukes, well, wait. Dukes, marquesses, earls, and viscounts are higher. Most barons barons today are merely life peers. Yes, that's right. They don't have hereditary titles. It's just the title you give somebody so they can be in the House of Lords.
0: Yeah, you you hand it out to somebody that uh, has done good service to the crown.
1: This is like, uh, I think in the 20th century it largely is, this is how you reform the House of Lords. You just say, okay, you're elected and now you're a baron. Um, But a baronet and... Rarely. A baronet S means they hold a hereditary title called a baronetcy, which is hereditary, but is not part of the traditional peerage system. It's its own weird secondary system that began to be awarded just as a a way of raising funds by the Stuart kings in the 17th century.
0: Oh, right. It's like basically one of these... Become a become a lord by one square meter in Scotland. It's there. like
1: when you get an email and Melania Trump is like, "John, I'm counting on you. You yeah. need to buy this amazing new tote bag, yeah. and that'll help us uh, overturn the results in Texas." Uh, I, I think it was the Stewart equivalent of that.
0: Yeah, and maybe they give you a uh, maybe they give you like a medal from a Masonic hall in Cleveland in the in the 1940s.
1: It's. Um, so I guess it's so what does this mean? There's this whole separate uh, rank system that is not the peerage system. It's like the and it must be the it must be like a Coke Pepsi thing. Hmm. or like NCAA, oh well, you're in the NIT. you're you're a baronet.
0: I feel like the peerage system is a, is one of the more elaborate caste systems, and it's entirely about knowing all the people who are below you. And all the people who are above
1: well, there's, Well, that's formalized in the order of precedence, right. which if you've watched The Crown even dictates how people have to say hi to each other in a room. Right. Um, where, you know, the sovereigns first and then blah, 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 and then the consort and then the grandsons and then the nephews. But then it goes down through officers of state, then peers, then like different kinds of clergy, then baronets in this other weird backup peerage system in case all the peers get blown up. And then after that, it's like knights and ladies, it's all the knights and dames. Right.
0: I mean, this is why, this is why Charles didn't kneel uh, when he proposed marriage to Diana, because apparently he felt that D- Diana was Diana should have knelt before him.
1: Yeah, and he'd only also met her four times and wasn't that into her. That's, yeah. That's, that's what that's Netflix has
0: taught sad, us. That's sad thing about it. Uh,
1: we had many people tell us about, well, I asked aloud if there was marathon season, and of course all the marathoners... Told me there is. Stephen says that you want to do it when mornings are in the 40s or 50s. So like in the southeast, that would be as early as February and as late as November. But, you know, it would then creep upward in the Pacific Northwest. um, You know, you can do it as late as June because nobody's sweating. Steven's been planning to run the Bothell Marathon, and I got to say, I didn't know Bothell had a marathon.
0: Of course, every place has a marathon. I bet you there's a Burian marathon.
1: Speaking of local um, marathoners, Matt sent us pictures from a, oh, is this 100K? Yeah, 100K he did in Tiana Way with a picture of your friend who I don't recognize, but I think he's the front man for Death Cab for Cutie.
0: Ben is now, uh, uh, Ben Gibbard of Death Cab is now famously, I mean, among ultra runners, doing. 100K races.
1: Uh, and I to me, it's like Fenor. I don't even know who I'm looking at here. But it's a couple of pictures of him taken in this. Oh, it's a 100 miler.
0: Yeah, 100 I miler. I thought
1: Tiano was 100K. Wow, 100, 100,
0: miles. 100 miler. You run all night. Jeez. Wait, the, Ben is the person that you have had multiple occasions where you've met him at a party and you've said, hi, and, I'm Ken. No, he
1: says hi, like a kind man, and I'm like, hey, what's up? dude.
0: <laughs> and then he says, we've met Ken, before. I've, we've met before. You have done the, you've done the high handshake. Uh, Twice. And he's like, we've met before. It's,
1: and, and once he was running down Tiger Mountain. So I don't feel right. bad for not recognizing a sweaty, disheveled Ben
0: Gibbard. But it's a classic famous person problem where you, where he is a yeah. Famous person,
1: and I just think, oh, somebody's saying hi to me. Yeah, a less like, fa- a, me, a less famous
0: person. <laughs> you're like, hey, nerd. Well, no, this is this is the problem of order of precedence. Yeah, right. You're <laughs> like, he's a rock famous. You're a TV famous. I think TV famous is the more famous of Yeah, but, not,
1: but I'm low TV famous, and he's very... It's not like Order of Precedence, where all the TV famouses go above all the rock famouses, obviously.
0: Well, sure. I mean, if you're in Aerosmith... If you're married to
1: Zoe Deschanel,
0: maybe you're higher than a game show contestant. But the thing is, she's TV famous. So he, <laughs> his rock fame and her TV fame, I think she was more famous.
1: Well, he took two pictures. I don't know if Matt knows Ben. I guess he says our friend in common. So maybe he's friends with him, but these are just pictures of him looking like he is reevaluating every choice that has gone into well, yeah. that, that has led him to this hundred-mile place. The
0: thing is that he has now this whole ultra-running community of friends mm-hmm. who only know him as an ultra-runner and are vaguely aware that he has a that he has another career. So who knows? Who knows which of us knows him better? I've known him for 25 years, but maybe his ultra running buddies... They've seen, they've, they've seen his soul. They've all vomited together with each other. Have and, you ever seen
1: his nipples bleeding?
0: Well, for different reasons.
1: <laughs> have, you <ever laughs> have you ever seen him poop his pants? Uh,
0: also, for, for different reasons.
1: <laughs> we, uh, we had a couple different running sub-commun- subcultures that uh, I learned about when they reached out. Uh, I, mean, I don't know if this counts as a subculture, but uh, we did get in trouble with Canadians for not mentioning Terry Fox. Oh, Terry Fox, the one-legged uh, runner yes. who uh, – I remember Terry Fox. Sure, that was big news here. But you have to understand, in Canada, like, a full year of school is spent studying Terry Fox. Like, he is like oh. he is like George Washington and Oprah put together in Canada.
0: A, gr- a great hero of Canada.
1: Yes. And I've seen his statue in Vancouver. Uh, I've – I got a question about him right on Jeopardy, but um, – But I didn't think of him in the ultra running for whatever – in the ultra running entry for whatever reason. He was going to run between – he was going to run east to west to raise money for cancer research. And uh, he lost his life to cancer before he completed it. It But I'm
0: not saying that's not why I'm a fan. It seems not an ultra run in the same way as it is a singular run.
1: But I think the problem is we mentioned Forrest Gump. Right. And if you're going to mention Forrest Gump as an ultra runner, the Canadians will get mad because Terry Fox is A, real, B, a hero, C, not an idiot. Right. Uh, So we apologize to Terry Fox fans for the – oh, there's a statue of him in Ottawa as well, and I don't think I've seen that one.
0: Once again, I feel like it falls to me to apologize to all of Canada for Ken.
1: But here's the thing. I apologize for nothing,
0: Canada. I, well, that's why it falls to me, because your whole— I don't want
1: you apologizing for my uh, for my uh, telling the truth about the awful Blue, Blue Jays, Jays fans. fans, in quotes.
0: But people then tweet at me and say, how can you do a podcast with this enemy of Canada? And I say, I love Canada. You know, you know, I don't—I mean, Blue Jays fans are terrible.
1: Here's the thing. I love Canada so much. I feel like I'm a quasi-Canadian
0: and, uh, yeah, uh, but that's like that's like white hip-hop fans saying they can use the N-word.
1: <laughs> so I can tell the... No, I'm not saying I can tell the truth because have my quasi-Canadian status. But I've seen enough Degrassi junior high that I understand the Canadian national character. Yes. And I know that they are not being well-represented by the drunken <laughs> Van- Vancouverites who head south every summer. Just because you've eaten Timbits
0: <laughs> doesn't mean that you know the full depth of... Canadians rage.
1: I'm more Timbit than man now.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I w- I grew up watching Mr. Dress Up because we got all the, you know, there were stations oh, right. that would come across the border.
0: Oh, right. Uh, I think the best thing at, at Tim Hortons is actually the roast beef sandwich, but, but uh, I'm going to get letters. But the coffee's not good. No. Uh, another subculture, have you ever heard of hashing? Mm, I, uh, unless it's like, Doing knife hits over a sink with, uh, with, with a, a sawed-off two-liter bottle of Coke? Uh, no, I have not.
1: Uh, it is a running an ultra-running movement that derives from the Hash House Harriers, uh, which uh, began in British Malaysia in the late 1930s, right before the war. Uh, they would do a game of hare and hounds, which is just kind of a British thing where you chase somebody and, and the the, the hare leaves behind a like a trail of, of chalk markings or paper or something so that you're, you're actually... It's like a fox hunt. You know, the British just want a fox hunt. You take a British person, you put them anywhere, they will wish they could organize a fox hunt. And in Malaysia, they played with humans, the most dangerous game of all. Uh, and this... Because they were... Um, they called themselves Hash House because it was a military—it started off at a, at a military—kind uh, of an officer's club annex that had bad food, which they called the Hash House. And it was revived after the war by the original people who now do this non-competitive thing where no matter where they—you know, they'll get together a group and uh, drink heavily and run around and then drink some more. But they'll do, like, incredibly long, non-competitive races— um like of, of i think of marathon like length all over the world and they still leave the little trail markings like hobo codes so you can find who you're chasing but it's this whole weird uh ultra running demimond that i had never heard of you ever you ever know people playing like human chase games like that it sounds like the kind of thing i would want to play it seems fun right yeah. like running a marathon seems boring like, trying to look out for clues to chase uh, uh, an elusive hare. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. We also found out about... Uh, I found out about the Rim to Rim to Rim run, which is people who run all the way around the Grand Canyon. And I guess it's incredibly brutal because the North Rim of the Grand Canyon is like a 15 to 20% grade. Up. It's like 4,000 4, feet higher than the South Rim. Uh So, you know, people are just looking for the worst things they can do to their bodies and then doing them. Tess listens to the Omnibus while she ultra runs. She, what did she run in? She ran a 50K this year and listened to an Omnibus Addenda during her most recent one. But, you know, it's a five-hour race, so she can only listen to half of an omnibus attendant. <laughs> no. So she listened to other things as well. She mentioned some of the other weird races she does. Walt Disney World does something called the Dopey Challenge, where you do a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, and a full marathon. I don't want to do that. If you do them concurrently, you could just run a marathon and be like, yep, that included the five K, the 10K, and the half marathon. I did them at the same time.
0: Yeah, but it's it's some kind of uh, what is it? It's like growing intensity and That's then true. you do you, two marathons back to back. You do
1: it in five days. It's true. The first day you do a five k, then you do a ten k, then you do a half marathon, then you do a full marathon.
0: Yeah, it feels like training for a hot dog
1: eating contest. I like how it could be any Walt Disney character, but it's dopey because they know that it's a stupid idea.
0: No, no other, uh, no other character would do it. Grumpy, not even not even Pluto.
1: <laughs> and Dave Rutledge, who owns a copy of my head and helps us sell t-shirts. With oh, Mr. sure, I, I know, know Dave well. Uh, we mentioned the. Um, we mentioned the Antarctic stabbing in that show. Yes. Do you remember? Somebody spoiled the ending of a book at yes, their absolutely. research base and got stabbed yeah. for, for it. Uh, he said that his favorite Wikipedia page is about Antarctic crime. And I don't even want to get into it now because I think it could be its own omnibus because there are at least six crimes on the books Antarctica and each one better than the last.
0: Okay. Well, that feels like – don't. if you're listening to this Addenda episode, do not Google – Antarctic crime because you'll spoil it for yourself.
1: Or you can have the pleasure of listening to an omnibus next month and thinking, oh, I knew that.
0: I knew that as well.
1: I'm way ahead of them. That's the only thing people want out of
0: podcasts. Yeah, I guess that's true. And that concludes Omnibus Addenda Volume 14. Futurelings, we thank you for your financial pledges that have made this monumental project possible. We hope that access to these important addenda items has validated your decision to support the Omnibus. It is vitally important that you attach these updates to the original recordings you discovered in their proper context, for the convenience of future browsing by your civilization. We hope that our civilization survives long enough for us to provide you with future addenda to the Omnibus.